I was often in times in rooms where I was the youngest marketer and the least tenured and the only person of color getting an award for something. And that makes you start to think. Welcome to Food Marketing Nerds, your weekly serving of marketing advice and industry insights with the smartest minds in the business. Here's your host, Alex Osterley. Vanessa, thanks so much for joining us. Yes, thank you for having me. So can you tell our listeners your story and how you got started off in this career? Sure. I guess we will start from Genesis. So I'm originally from New York City, born and raised there. And I ended up going to college there as well. So I studied corporate communications, minored in journalism and international business. And it's funny because I always thought that I was going to be a journalist. And I was like, yes, I'm going to be on TV. I'm going to be like Oprah, just like the Afro-Latina version. (laughs) You know, I got really passionate early on since I was a kid about just the power of media until, you know, I had worked at Nielsen for a while, learned a ton about marketing and was like, oh, wow, this entire other world exists of marketing, of market research, of consumer behavior. And like, it's creative, it involves people. And that really motivated me to take on that career path in marketing, even though I was in the media industry. And so eventually I had a mentor in a program that I was in who had worked in CPG her entire career. For the most part, she was super successful. And I think she saw herself in me a lot. You know, we were both college basketball players. We were both Black women. We were both super social, outgoing personalities, thought very similarly, made sports analogies for a lot of things. She was the one who pretty much pushed me into CPG and was like, you can totally make a great career here. You're super smart. You're creative. You have the people skills down pack. You can think strategically. You can think big. And she had a lot of confidence in me early on. And pretty much when I was an undergrad, she was like, you should totally go down this path. And so I had taken a break from working in the media industry and transitioned into working in CPG, where I currently work now at General Mills. And that's kind of how I ended up here. And then I ended up moving to Minnesota, you know, when starting here full time. And yeah, it's been a whirlwind, but I'm here now. So if it hadn't been for that mentor kind of guiding you towards CPG, do you think you would have built that interest or have naturally gravitated toward it at all? See, that's a great question. I feel like I love food. So maybe in a later life I would have. But quite frankly, I honestly don't think so. Because I think I wasn't exposed to CPG as much younger. And a lot of my peers said it just wasn't something that was top of mind. So I don't think I would have done it if it wasn't for her. Because like I said, I was dead set on going into the media industry and working with TV shows or movies and production and like in that field, especially 
especially, you know, working at Nielsen on the media industry side of the business, I was always like, I want to go in the media industry. And obviously that's what we see, right? It's glamorized as well. But I think the awesome part is that you realize there's an overlap and you can do a lot of that work still within CPG because every product needs to get marketed. So, and a lot of times, especially now with technology that is through media and social and whatnot. So it's awesome to see that there was overlap, but no, I don't think I would have chose it if it wasn't for my mentor. So having seen the impact of what a mentor can have on your own life, have you planned on or started mentoring anyone yourself? Yeah, I have a couple. So I've had a couple mentees throughout college and I have a couple now because yeah, I definitely believe in paying it forward. I think that's like part of continuously trying to break the cycle and also just elevate people who again, were like me at some point who didn't know or have the awareness, these career types. I mentor one-off, I've, I've done mentorship through programs and it's been really beneficial. As a, a brand experience planner, what does your day look like? What does a brand experience planner really do? Yeah. So it's a fancy, fancy name <laughs> that yeah. my company just so happens to have for people who just do the marketing communication. So brand experience, right? We think about the consumer and like what is their experience with our brand? You know, how do they relate to our brand? How do we create value and add value in the lives of consumers through our brands? And that's kind of like what brand experience achieves, but it's really just a fancy way of saying marketing communications. And truly it's like the intersection between uh, culture and kind of like where the world is and how consumers and everyday people interact in their daily life. And then how do brands enter that space in a way that's authentic and relevant? My days are usually different <laughs> every day. Especially for me, I work across eight brands. So a bunch of snack brands at General Mills. I work across like Gushers, Fruit by the Foot, Fruit Roll-Up, Gardettos, Chex Mix Bugles, like the list goes on. I'm constantly working on media campaigns or, you know, ways to partner in a relevant way with either like celebrities or launching things that are just cool in culture, right? In a way that's not like, here, pick me, advertising you know, in ways that are authentic to consumers. I think social is what makes my job super fun too. It's one of my favorite parts just because social is a place where you're direct to the consumer. You see, you read comments based off social listening. So my day kind of like varies. And I would say it really depends on the company that you work at. But specifically where I work, it's a lot of managing relationships with media agencies, social agencies, as well as bringing your ideas and marketing to life. And then also managing your relationships with your brand management team. So people that control like the P&L of the brand, as well as your logistics supply chain. Obviously in food, there's like so many different functions and, and departments. It's pretty much managing a lot of different things at once. Every day is kind of different. But for the most part, you're focused on executing and running promotions and then thinking more strategically about the brand. So especially with food, I think it's easy to get stuck in this idea of, well, you eat it. That's the experience that people have with the brand. How else does food or a CPG brand fit into the lives of its consumers? I think it depends, honestly, what food... I think the cool part about food is that that's such a vague term, right? Food, you could have everything
everything from like tomatoes to fruit snacks are considered food, which are very different things, right? So I think it depends on the consumer you're going for. And that's dependent and contingent on the food as well. I think if you're talking about things that are fresh produce, for example, that is something that's super valuable in the lives of consumers that might want to eat a certain way or like maybe they're into farming. Like there's so many different values from that perspective. But when it comes to like packaged food, I think one, it depends on the type of brand and then kind of like what the brand stands for and how they're showing up for their consumers. So whether that's like, I want to be a brand that is savvy on social and maybe like part of consumers feeds, right? To build that brand affinity. I think that that's a way that you can be part of consumers journey overall. And I also think just being more than just a food on a shelf. Food can be part of like the ecosystem of how consumers think too. I mean, not to give too much power to food, but it's like, I think nowadays we live in this era where people are expecting for brands to like speak up more. People are expecting for brands to be about something besides just sitting cute on a shelf. So to that point, where do you think that brands should fit in with the conversation on taking a stance and really standing for something? Yeah. I mean, I think it really just depends on the nature of the brand, right? And I'm speaking just like as a person I feel like when brands need to know their consumer, like know who your target consumer is and what they care about and then know the ecosystem where you play. I think that's super critical because not every brand can and should step up and say something. But I think when there's meaningful action behind and like when that brand is super tied to the consumer that they serve and what they care about, those are moments to step in. And yeah, I think it gets tricky with the Black Lives Matter movement now because I am a firm believer that the private sector has a place to play here. You know, like businesses should be stepping up, right? Because if businesses are going to continue to market to consumers, they need to be fully aware of like the macro effect of the world and what's going on. And I think that they do have a, a space to play. I just think it really depends who is your target consumer and what's also like, what's the DNA and history of your brand? Like what has your brand strategically stepped up for? What has your brand capitalized on? I think it's it takes like looking at what the brand's history has been in that space, but then also being super keen and aware to what their consumers are facing and dealing with. So kind of to that point, before our interview, we were talking about this is not a a secret by any means, but the marketing industry is not very diverse at all. Right. Where do you feel that stems from? How do we start tackling that issue? Yeah, I think it stems from a lot. So I think, you know, just as we talk about education being a systemic issue and access to education being a systemic issue, I think access to the right jobs and the right types of jobs to diversify the industry is also a systemic issue. So I think about my personal experience. And like I shared, if it wasn't for a mentor that reached out to me and said, hey, this is a career type that you can be successful in, I would have never even thought or looked at CPG and marketing in general if I wouldn't have had that exposure. So I think that the lack of diversity, obviously I'm not, you know, a diverse marketing expert <laughs> by any means, but the lack of diversity really stems from like lack of access and awareness. You know, I think about my times early on when I was working at Nielsen, a lot of times I was the only one or in any of my jobs and internships, I was the only woman of color for a long time and when I I would talk to my other peers, they all talked about 
about how they got in CPG, their parents, you know, like maybe had a business or maybe their parents worked in CPG for a long time or their uncle, or there was all this generational ties, right. To the industry. And that obviously then informs hiring practices as well. Right. Cause when people interview, they're going to interview and hire people that most likely think act look like them or that they connect with on some basis on some level. Right. And then back to that whole issue of exposure and access, I think at a very young age, especially in communities of color, I can speak for myself again as a first generation Afro-Latino woman. My entire family is from Dominican Republic. So my parents immigrated here. And for a lot of immigrants, the jobs are like, oh, you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer, or it's very high profile jobs that are very well known. And I think marketing was not one of those things. My parents weren't like, yep, you can be a marketer. <laughs> it was like, nope, you could be a, la- a lawyer, you could be a doctor, you could be maybe a journalist. I mean, they knew what journalism was. So it was like, yep, you could be a journalist. And I think, especially if within the Black community too, you know, it's like at a young age, you're kind of fed and told what you can and cannot be. And a lot of times that's like, yeah, you can be an athlete and potentially play professionally, or you can be a musician or you could be an artist. There's all these different jobs that we don't have knowledge of at a very young age. And I think that's one thing. So again, just not even knowing, right, that there's a whole industry and world of marketing that exists. I think also it's the diversification of certain companies, right? We think about like how there are certain companies, especially agencies that have just continued to hire people that look, think, feel the same or people that they know until as of recent where people are like, yep, you need to diversify the industry. A lot of that stems from a lack of knowledge that the jobs exist in the first place. And then also lack of representation, right? So when you see somebody else that looks like you achieve something, it makes it more real. And so for me, again, I had a career coach who was phenomenal, who was also a Black woman, and I saw her be successful. I worked at at a couple companies where I saw Black women or Latino women that were successful and then it then made it more real for me. And I think that a lot of times with the lack of diversity, it's like, not only are you not exposed, once you are exposed, sometimes you don't even see that representation at the top to tell you that you can even thrive in that industry. So I think that it it stems from a lot of things, but those are the main two I would say is just lack of knowledge and access at a young age and then lack of representation at the top. And so I think the reason why diverse marketers are important in this industry in particular is because when you think about food, everyone's palates are different. Even just think about regionally, right? In the South, you have Cajun food versus South America, you might have spicier food. I think there's just like regional differences that one, we need to adhere to those palates, right? Like fundamentally in how we build products. So I think diversity is so important there because if the same people with arguably the same palate are making decisions on the same product and they're trying to put it out to people that don't necessarily look like them, it might not be as effective. So I think that's one thing. And then two, getting past that whole representation, because I think people sometimes are like, oh, we casted Black people and Latino people and disabled people. We casted these people in this commercial and boom, check, that's diversity. And it's like, no, that's casting. (laughs) (laughs) It's not necessarily diversity. And I think that a lot of times there's 
just needs to be people in the room making decisions on what can be perceived as stereotypical and what images we're putting out there as marketers. And I think we need to just get to a place where we're looking beyond just straight representation and looking into truly understanding and being authentic. I honestly do think it takes the right people in the room to make those decisions without being a focus group of one. So we can't just like look at the one black person in the room and be like, hey, is this okay? Is there anything from a lack of exposure standpoint that companies and leaders should be taking action to help communities of color? Yeah. I mean, I think there's so many resources and places. There's a ton of pipeline programs that for I personally was a part of things like the Emma Bowen Foundation, Management Leadership for Tomorrow, the LeGrant Foundation. Like These are all pipeline programs that exist to help diversify the industry. So like I said, the work is being done because people have realized this and said, hey, we need to create programs that create more access. So I think companies should be strategically partnering with those organizations. And then also, I personally didn't attend an HBCU, but there's tons of HBCUs that have incredible talent. I think that there needs to be more strategic and intentional partnership for companies to you know, recruit at HBCUs regularly, not just to fill a quota or say, hey, I'm being diverse, but to truly expose them to the career opportunities that exist. And I honestly think that there should also be like even more alliances and partnerships at a younger age too, right? A lot of our formative years are when we start to make these decisions on careers. Even in middle school and high school, there should be local pipeline programs that corporations have with certain high schools. You know, like these are the types of things that I think would help diversify the industry. Because if you're exposed to this at a younger age, you can then pivot maybe your career studies or your internship search to then align with certain industries. You live in Minneapolis or moved to Minneapolis to work with General Mills. Can you describe what the experience of these past two months has been? It's been really interesting. I think when the, the murder of George Floyd happened, it was super traumatic, you know? And I think for me, I'm a transplant. So I wasn't born and raised here. I came here specifically for work. So being in the city where this occurred, also while being in a pandemic, you know, and, and staying quarantined at home, just heightened everything. And I think it was a situation where no one can bat an eye, right? Everyone's at home tuning in, watching the murder of George Floyd. And it was just super traumatic, I think, being here. And I definitely had moments where I was like, okay, I cannot sit and allow history to happen in my backyard and not do anything about it. So I think it was a mix of like grief and trauma, but also like trying to find action and solace in in the entire movement. But definitely the energy of the city was super down. Everyone was hurt and sad. The the thing that I think was super interesting is that I feel like the media was not painting always the right picture, which then started to dilute the conversation, right? The conversation went from a man being murdered to, oh, well, the riots and the looting. And, you know, I had a couple people from out of state, even from in-state, try to bring that up. And yes, that's part of the movement. But from what I was seeing and experiencing, there was also a ton of positivity and like peaceful protesting going 
going on that wasn't always being captured. So that's kind of where I started elevating those messages, you know, and like trying to show from my perspective, what was actually going on. I think it was an interesting time for a lot of white people, honestly, who finally came to a realization that systemic racism exists, which I was like, ooh, it took us a long time to get there. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, seeing that outpouring of people being willing to acknowledge their privilege for the first time or even just have conversations was something that did give me a little bit of hope. But yeah, I would say the past two months were kind of a, a whirlwind and a roller coaster and it was super sad but it was also very interesting to see the city rebuild itself and like the amount of love and community support that was felt here and like the memorial and the amount of people that have like truly poured out into the community has been awesome but obviously it does make you think like it took people continuously being murdered for us to be at this point and I think that's the tough part to sit with we've seen a lot of the conversation shift from it's not enough to just not be racist. We have to be actively anti-racist. A lot of people are coming to like an awakening now, which is great, but it's like, at what point do we, how, one, how, how long are we going to have the same energy? Because it's important and it's not a a trend, a one-time moment. It's a movement that's hopefully for the best and for the better. And going back to your questions on like, where do brands play? I feel like the most authentic brands are going to be in the conversation for the long run. Like you said, you've got this historic moment, the beginning of hopefully a massive transformation going on in your backyard. And you also have responsibilities with a full-time job. How supportive was General Mills in allowing you to basically take as much time as you needed to? Part of the reason why I even chose to work at this company is because they're super supportive about people's lives in general outside of work. And that was super important to me. And I think the company was super supportive when it came to letting people take the time they needed. Obviously, for something like this is so tricky, right? Because this is something that's a continuous problem in this country and in this world. I'm talking about specifically like police brutality, racial trauma, etc. So it's a tough thing to kind of diagnose and say, oh, okay, you know, you can take X amount of time. But luckily, I felt like my employer was super supportive of just like letting me take the time I needed or, or and a lot of the you know protests and stuff like I would go on the weekends but yeah it's it's one of these things where I think it's interesting because as a black woman who is a marketer the Black Lives Matter conversation is not something that I can choose to opt out of you know what I mean and it comes with me like my identity and I think that's what a lot of people don't understand and that's why it's so critical for us to have diverse marketers is that your identity goes with you while you're in the job as well. And you are a valuable asset because of your lived experience. And sometimes that is your biggest asset as a diverse person, but it's not your only asset, right? Because it's not enough. Like I can't be a focus group of one at work because my voice is not the voice of all black people, right? (laughs) Or the voice of all Hispanic people. And I think that sometimes that's the issue that we can get into, but I think it's important to show up and, and be in a space that allows you to do that. And luckily my employer does. It's been a pleasure having you on and talking through an incredibly timely and important topic. Really appreciate your wisdom and insight and have a, a couple more questions that we ask each of our guests. 
Are there any books or maybe publications that you've read recently or in the past that have had a big impact on how you approach your life or career? Yeah. Ooh, that's a really, really great one. I would say there's a couple. So I read a book, I think when I was in college called The Promise of a Pencil by Adam Braun. And it was all about this guy who was going to do this job in Wall Street and ended up doing this program where he traveled and started building schools all over Africa, all over Asia, etc. And it was pretty much just like autobiography of this guy and his life experiences. And it talked a lot about how he was able to like connect with anybody anywhere and just from listening to people's experiences and then thinking just bigger. And I think that book really put in me a desire to continue to do work that's meaningful anywhere I go, no matter what the season is, to be always aligned to a calling and a purpose, not necessarily a building or a job or a title, but just always a calling and a purpose. And I think that that book truly helped kind of think about how, okay, yes, I might be an ordinary person, but I have extraordinary thoughts and like that everything I do has to be tied to purpose and somehow helping others. So I think that book helped definitely kind of like create a spirit of passion for social good within my career. And I think it's something that I continuously do, even in projects that I work on on work or even outside of work, like sitting on the board of a nonprofit, being in Girl Scouts. Like I do a lot of stuff outside of work in which I help to give back. And and again, I think like that's that book taught me that. Also Grit by Angela Duckworth is a good one. I don't know if you've read it, but it's all about grit, what it means, like why certain people are successful because of their passion and perseverance and how like usually your like talent can be one thing, but your passion and your ability to truly grind for it is what makes the difference. I think that book was super helpful for me too. And then in terms of people, I just love the Michelle Obamas and the Issa Rays of the world and Oprah, obviously so cliche, but (laughs) who like truly have just trailblazed and created a past like greater than themselves. And, and yeah, I just have a lot of respect for both, especially Issa Rae and like Insecure. It's one of my favorite shows on HBO. And I think she's just so talented and has created this whole ecosystem of black storytelling, which I think is so important and something that even as a marketer, you know, I try to carry on and, and, and understand like, how am I portraying stories in a relevant way? How am I going beyond visibility and representation and more into understanding and storytelling in an authentic way? So those are some of the good ones. So based on what you know now, if you could give yourself a piece of advice as you're just entering the workforce, what would it be? Oh, beware of imposter syndrome. And you are way more than enough. I think those are probably the two things I would say. I think for someone like me, like in college, I was that played two sports in college, had incredible grades, did all the programs, got a bunch of awards. Like I had a lot of hype coming after college. And I was super excited to enter the workforce and be this like groundbreaking marketer, which I guess people could argue that I am. But definitely, I think when you go from college to the workforce, there's a shift that happens where all of a sudden you are back at the bottom of the totem pole sometimes and having to rebuild and rebrand yourself in ways that you probably hadn't thought of earlier. And so I think there's certain moments, you know, where especially as a woman of color, as a diverse marketer, who's acutely aware of the value that I bring, there are times where even being in 
in those spaces where I don't necessarily always connect with people, but you know, I still can be in the same room with them. And it has to be, there's times where imposter syndrome kicks in, right? You're like, okay, cool. I got all the way here. But like, is it really, is this really real? Should I really be elevated in this position? Should I be, should I be presenting with the CMO right now? Like, did I really deserve this? Like, these are all things that can start to creep. And I wish I would have thought about that at a young age. Cause that's the advice I would have gave myself is like, Hey, it's going to creep in, but no matter what, you're more than enough. When did you start to overcome that feeling? Probably after I like consistently got just like great feedback on the stuff I was working on. And then like continuously getting awards at a young age, which again, can also creep into the imposter syndrome too. Cause when you start to get really, you know, I was often in times in rooms where I was like the youngest marketer, the least tenured person getting an award for something. And and often, you know, the youngest person, the least tenured and the only person of color. And, and that, you know, makes you start to think, okay, like, should I really be up here? But I think I'm still overcoming it sometimes. But for the most part, I feel like over the past couple of years, I've been definitely at a place where I'm very aware of the value. And it's, it's like imposter syndrome. I think it's going to be a lifelong journey for people people, especially like high caliber people. So I'm still overcoming it every day. I think the answer is nothing's perfect, but I think just being aware of it is what's important and being aware of like spaces where you're going to have to fight that, especially. And I think as I continue to progress in my career, I'm just more acutely aware that it could come up, but I feel more comfortable with it for sure. Isn't there saying something about the people who feel the imposter syndrome the most are the most likely to belong in the room or the most qualified or something along those lines? Yeah, I do believe that, honestly. I mean, not always, but I, for the most part, I do believe that because the thing is, I think uh, imposter syndrome stems from people who are overly qualified and super successful, just maybe not always fully believing that or thinking, oh, okay, well, something might go wrong. And I think that that comes again with just experience, right? And, and continuously being elevated into those rooms to the point where you're like, okay, this is normal for me. I feel like now I'm at a point where, yep, I'm used to being kind of elevated to to different rooms and spaces where I'm probably not supposed to be there on paper, but the reality is I am. So it's more like, what am I going to do with the seat? Right. And if there's not a seat for me, I will pull up a chair and create it. Well, I'd say you definitely elevated our podcast. So thank you so much for coming on. If people want to go find out more about you or get in touch, where's the best place for people to check you out? Sure. People can follow me on LinkedIn, Vanessa Santana, and then on Instagram, Ness, N-E-S-S underscore Santana. Awesome. Well, thank you again. This has been great. Yeah, I hope so. Thank you. Marketing Nerds is a production of Blue Bear Creative. For interview transcripts and other downloadable resources, head to foodmarketingnerds.com.